You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Sunday school answers, very good. 
So right here, it's glorifying Christ right from the beginning. Jesus is the one holding the seven stars. Jesus is the one in the seven golden lampstands that they're all looking at him. And here's what he says. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All right, I highly suggest if you have Bibles on your phones or you brought your Bible with you, you'll want to read along today so you can help this go a little easier. What are some of the good qualities of Ephesus? They're patient, they're enduring. They don't tolerate evil They don't tolerate what? Evil people. They don't tolerate evil people. Uh, yeah, they were told... Uh, um, they, they test those who call themselves apostles and are not. They found people to be false. Guys, you gotta, if you pay attention as you read throughout the New Testament, as the church takes off, heresies take off like crazy. People start realizing, ooh, this new church thing with this whole Jesus thing, I could be at the forefront of this and make a profit off this and really lead people astray and have a following and all this stuff. So they really start kind of hijacking Christianity and trying to get people to follow them. They start trying to hybrid Christianity, taking all the other many religions and gods out there and trying to blend it together. And some of the good news about Ephesus, as Kathy pointed out, is that they figure out who these false apostles are. They don't tolerate people who are evil. They're paying attention to what they're being taught and not just soaking it in like other churches do. Paul often would write to other churches and be like, why do you just listen to everyone who comes your way? <laughs> if they say anything that is the opposite of what I said, they're not telling you the gospel. In fact, Paul goes so far as say, if an angel shows up to you and tells you something that I didn't say, that angel is not an angel. It's masquerading as one. And then Paul goes so far as saying, if I show up to you and tell you something that I'm, is different from what I'm telling you now, I've gone astray. Don't listen to me. I'm cursed. All these things are cursed. So there's this really important understanding. A lot of times today are like, ah, theology, not a big deal. It doesn't matter. The Bible is actually like what you believe about Jesus and about the Gospels and all this stuff is actually really important to how you live it out. And to some extent, like, make you a Christian in your thought life. And if you don't think certain things, technically you're out of bounds. Or if you marry other faiths together, then you're joining something that is not what Jesus was preaching. It's not the kingdom of heaven. So some of the good things are that they pay attention to, um, they pay attention, they're able to distinguish who's false and who's true. Does anyone remember what the bad thing was, though? Yeah, they don't love like they used to. Love who? Who do you think? 
<laughs> Jesus is not the answer to every question I ask today. <laughs> However, you are correct. It probably is Jesus. Uh, it could be. It could be that they're not loving each other like they used to. It could be that they're not loving God like they used to. I think we can say that it's both. Right? Because when you love other people, you are, in a sense, loving God because he asked you to love other people. So I think, to some extent, Paul's telling us, uh, sorry, John is speaking on Jesus' behalf, telling them, look, Jesus sees how you don't love the way that you used to. You went through your honeymoon phase as a church, and now you're kind of calming down. So he calls them back to that. Um... And what's interesting too, he said this, if you don't repent of this, if you don't get this loving thing back together, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Does anyone remember what a lampstand is after last week? It's a church. Lampstand is symbolic of a church. Guess what? There is no church in Ephesus today. That's actually a big deal. I mean, Ephesus was one of the places in which Christianity was becoming a really big deal. Out of all the different countries and where it was starting to plant itself, Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. John, who just wrote this, actually spent a lot of time in Ephesus, so he's writing to his friends first. And it was kind of where like a lot of stuff was really starting to take off. So imagine like Take Willow Creek, for example, this really huge church out in Chicago. We know that it's like this almost airport-sized church. Tons of people there. Imagine God speaking to Willow Creek and be like, repent of this, or I will remove your lampstand from you. To us, we'd be like, no, nah, it's ridiculous. M millions of people, I, don't know, I guess probably not millions. <laughs> thousands upon thousands of people suddenly not going to that church anymore. Ephesus wouldn't have been that big, but because it was such a central hub to Christianity, it is amazing to us to look at it now and be like, huh, the lampstand's gone. There are no churches in Ephesus today. So you see a prophetic word spoken, and today you can kind of see the results of where that went. All right, to the church in Smyrna, oh, I guess I should point that out too. A lot of times when it comes to Revelation, people are always thinking this is about the future. None of this has happened yet. I just showed you the word was spoken to people who existed way back then. And that the prophetic word that was spoken over them has already taken place. So we're actually seeing that some of Revelation has already happened. And we've even seen those prophetic words already happen. All right, verse 8. Remember to read along with me. Help me out here. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. He starts by glorifying Jesus once again, this time in a new way. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That second death, that's a blessing again of the end times. What is ahead when uh, the kind of 
totality of ending comes for some things, here Jesus is telling them, you will escape that by following me. Okay, what were some good things to the church in Smyrna? They're pushing through. They're surviving uh, despite the fact that there's already tribulation, despite the fact that they're going through poverty. Why poverty? I would think of it this way. When you become a Christian, especially in this time, when Christianity is like a slap in the face to everything that exists, it's not worshiping uh, the gods that they want them to worship. It's not worshiping the empire that they want them to worship. When you become a Christian, you become a minority. And people don't want to deal with you anymore. We already see today people of minority status struggling to find uh, jobs and things like that. Imagine becoming a Christian and now nobody wants to associate with you. So for the sake of the gospel, I would suggest to you they're becoming poor. But Jesus tells them what? But really, you're rich. You have the fullest treasure you could have. You have me. And they're suffering through poverty. They're suffering through slander. And the people who are slandering them in this case are the Jews. The Jews in their particular town, you actually see uh, John going so far as to say, look, they're a synagogue of Satan. Synagogue would be like the place that they gather. It's kind of like a in modern day terms, we would think church, right? So they get together in a building to worship Yahweh. And here they've been um, afflicting. They've been afflicting Christians. And so in John's mind, he's thinking, you know what? The Jews of your area are anti-Jesus. They're anti-Christ, which means they're following the anti-Christ. And so when they come together and they afflict you, you need to understand, church, Satan is out to get you in whatever way he can, even when it's through those who should know better. Because Paul, him, uh, John himself and all these other disciples, like they have Jewish roots. They're not out to go against the Jews. They are Jewish, right? When Paul becomes a Christian, I don't think Paul ever was like, ah, I have converted from Judaism to Christianity. I think in Paul's mind, he was like, Ah, I have gone from being a a Jew who didn't know the fullness of Jesus to a Jew who has the fullness of everything God promised us. So I don't think that Christians are out to get the Jews because for many of them, they're thinking they are Jews or even that I've converted to Judaism, the fullness that's found in Jesus. However, in this particular town of Smyrna, they're also aware that it's... uh, the people who are the Jews who are opposed to them and are working, uh, giving Satan the ability to afflict them. He goes on from there, too, to say uh, this is a prophetic word to them. You're all going to be thrown in jail for 10 days. You will have tribulation, but be faithful. And he even tells them, like, unto death. Even if you get killed, be faithful. Because there is a reward. There is a crown of life that will be given to you even if you're killed. So there's a prophetic word spoken over them about something that's to come. And when you realize that too, you realize another thing. It's not just the Jews who are against the Christians. It's not just people of other religions, of other um, stories that are against Christians. But the government is against Christians too. The ones throwing them in prison. It's like the whole world is turning against this kingdom of heaven that's being planted Jesus is rising up. And as heaven starts to rise up on the earth, 
it affects everything. People find it weird. They don't know what to do with it. And so they start targeting it. They start trying to destroy it. And that's much of what Revelation is about. It's about like this big war. Now that heaven is coming to earth, all of the forces of demons and government and other religions will all try to stop heaven from coming, but heaven will continue. All right, uh, church in Pergamum, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. Who has a two-edged sword? Jesus. Yeah, all right, we're getting it. Yes, Jesus has a two-edged sword. Uh, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yeah, you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also, you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not... I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. All right, so here we have Pergamum, and they apparently live where Satan lives. Now, if you're feeling super charismatic about this... (laughs) You might go, ah, yes, the evil portals of hell within Pergamum itself. Uh, That's not really what we're getting at here. Remember, this is written to specific people in specific places. There happens to be a very large temple of sorts to Zeus in Pergamum. In fact, if you were to go to Pergamum today, you would still see some of the outline of this, and it would still be intimidating to you 2,000 years later, even though much of it is falling apart or is partially buried. And so here you have John saying, look, I know where you are. You live in the presence of all of these idols to all of these false gods. Today, oftentimes, when we think of the false gods, we're like, ah, they're just statues. And the Bible would agree that there's nothing to these statues. They're just statues. But the Bible would also tell you these false gods are not just brick. These false gods are demons. They're spiritual entities. Something lies behind it. And Zeus was a well-known god for, for Greeks and Romans. And he's got this large temple. And so to the people in Pergamum, you see John saying, I know where you dwell. You're in this, this kind of like religious place where people will gather to worship some of the most well-known false gods. You're surrounded by them. You live where Satan has power. And we see you there. You've seen so much struggling there that you actually see Antipas has been killed there. There's not very many martyrs actually mentioned in the Bible, and here you have one. You get a name of someone who, who not just is going to suffer tribulation or end up in jail. Antipas in Pergamum was killed for the sake of the gospel. Where? The place where there's already all this spiritual stuff going on. The place where Satan dwells. The place where Satan's 
throne is. It's not that Satan's Zeus. It's that all demons are united against uh, the kingdom of God and against God. So if you find any kind of spiritual entity outside of God and the angels who work for him, then you're dealing with a, a different spiritual attack. So the people in Pergamum need to be strong. Uh, but he, he goes beyond that, too. He sees some other things that have been going on. He says that uh, um, here's a few things that they hold against, that John holds against them, that Jesus holds against them. You have people who are, are teaching the ways of Balaam. Anybody remember who Balaam is? Old Testament. Something about a donkey. Yeah, so it's kind of weird. He sort of seems like a prophet because he seems to do prophetic things, but he's not like a God prophet. Someone actually pays him to go curse Israel. And, and so he shows up and he's kind of like this prophet who seems to have this weird power to do that, but God won't let him curse Israel. And instead, what God makes this guy do is you're going to bless Israel instead. So he goes up, he sees all of Israel. He's about to curse them. And God's like, no, you won't. You will bless these people. <laughs> and so Balaam blesses them. And he does it like three times. So there's this like spiritual blessing that this Balaam guy is doing. But Balaam finds another way. If he can't curse them, he's going to find uh, another way to twist things around, to mess up Israel. And this part of the Balaam story we often don't notice or we forget. What Balaam decides is to try to encourage the people of Israel to marry a bunch of Midianite women who worship other gods and practice sexual immorality. And the way in which this will mess Israel up is that they will go from following just one God, from following just Yahweh, to being sold out to him, to entering into a covenantal relationship with someone of another faith who is chasing after something else. And in doing so, the very core of the Israelite religion, the very core of Christianity will be broken. You no longer will just be following God. You'll be trying to say, ah, I can follow God and I'm going to join with my wife's religion as well and marry these two things together. Guys, that's like the number one commandment, right? There will be no other gods before me because I am a jealous God. If you're going to follow God, you only get one God. And it's the best deal you could get because he happens to be the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the only God and the God who created everything. But as Paul would say, you can't eat at the table with demons and with God. You don't get both. Either follow God or you're following something else. If you say you're following both, you're following something else because God doesn't allow that. And so when we look at this right here, he's saying, look, you got someone like Balaam in your town and he's been teaching you that it's okay to chase after the other gods, to maybe go eat at their temples and, and celebrate all these other religions and to practice sexual immorality, which could have been the case because... Uh, um, a lot of temples at that time of other religions, they had temple prostitutes. So you might go and throw a party, and after you've thrown uh, this kind of religious party, everyone might start sleeping around because that was a weird way of kind of glorifying the false gods. You can see just how twisted this all gets, right? And so John's calling them out. You guys are practicing all these pagan things. You're not being Christians. 
And God right now, Jesus is telling you, it's time to repent. Follow him and him alone. He who has an ear, let him hear to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. With a new name written on it that no one knows except the one who receives it. To us, again, that just sounds like, ooh, creepy. But there's actually probably uh, things that they would have understood behind those things. Hidden manna could very easily just be Jesus. It could be communion. Jesus talks about how he's the bread of life. Uh, the, the prophets spoke of manna returning, and Jesus becomes the embodiment of manna returning. So it could very easily be like Jesus is like, if you follow me, I will give you new manna. I'll give you myself. What about the white stone? Well, traditionally, the white stone could have been all kinds of things. Uh, if you were in a court case, if you were judged guilty, guess what you were given? Black stone. But if you were acquitted, you were given a white stone. So it could be Jesus saying, like, if you follow me, I forgive you. You can follow me. Here's the white stone. White stones also were used for special admission into festivals. So it could be like, you get the white stone. You get to join with the kingdom of heaven as it's inaugurated. Uh, we don't fully know like which one of these things or if it's something else, but we all get the point. Like That's generally what the white stone is. It's at least what it's communicating, right? Okay, so to the next church. Thyatira, yes. Anybody remember a biblical character from Thyatira? She made purple stuff. Lydia, wow. We need to have some Bible quizzing going on in here. The church in Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. We read about this guy last week. Anyone remember who he is? Jesus. Right, yeah. Yeah, we're getting somewhere. I know where you... Nope, we just read that one. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and the latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden." Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, again, God sees good things, but he comes with criticism. The last guy that uh, uh, Jesus gave an example of was Balaam. In this case, now he's talking about Jezebel. Jezebel was an Old Testament character, too. And Jezebel is meant to be an analogy here again. 
He's like, remember how Jezebel led everyone to go and worship Baal? It's the same idea, right? (laughs) Balaam led people to go and worship false gods. Jezebel's now leading people to go and worship false gods and to practice sexual immorality. And so here you have him writing to their specific people. Jezebel is not a lady down the road who will show up in 2020. Jezebel was a woman that they're all like, ah, Jezebel, we know who he's talking about. Yeah, she's been preaching again and saying a lot of crazy stuff. We know she's off. They understood. They know who this is. They understand what he's getting at. And so here you have uh, uh, them all realizing that just as this other church had Balaam, so this church has Jezebel and that they have to do something about it. They have to turn things around. And if they don't turn things around, then there's going to be suffering. You know, what's interesting to me, though, is like a lot of times when we meet heretics like this Jezebel right here, like we're just ready to see them burn. Right. Do you realize in this passage, God's like, I gave them a chance to repent. In fact, in writing this, he's like, this is another chance for her to repent. Turn it around. I think that's important because I, I see today a lot of people always like get online and like, oh, this heretic just did this thing. Uh, they're not a real pastor. And when I look at what that person said, I'm like, you know what? They actually are wrong. They shouldn't have said that. That's not biblical. That's not right. But then I look at that pastor and what they're doing and even some ways I see fruit. And I'm like, I don't think they're not Christian. I think they're just off. <laughs> And I think God is calling in this moment for them to repent, not to see them burn, right? Because what, what's a more powerful image? A, a false prophet, a false heretic who's led everyone astray and just everything ends in disaster? Or someone who's like, I, I was wrong. Forgive me. And I'm going to step down and let someone else take over. That was King Manasseh. King Manasseh in the Old Testament is like as close to Hitler as I see in the Bible. This guy was messed up. He was killing babies left and right, sacrificing them to false gods. That's dark stuff. The Bible says that at that point, Israel was worse than all the other nations. There was more blood on their hands than anybody else. Can you imagine? God's people who are supposed to bring heaven on earth have now brought more hell to earth than anybody else. Manasseh gets taken uh, captive by another nation and on his way, he repents and says, God, save me and I'll turn this around. Now, if I'm God, I'm thinking, no way. You lost your chance. But if you know the story, God saves him. Manasseh goes home and turns things around. It's the story of what if Hitler had repented? Apparently, there is a possibility that even people that lost in darkness can still tell a better story than what they're telling. And so Jezebel's extended the same thing. Jezebel, I've given you a chance to repent. Now I'm telling everyone to be wary of you. Now I'm telling everyone to uh, start preaching against you. You still need to repent. The churches in uh, chapter 3 are really fun to me. Trying to decide if I want to just jet through them really quick. Yes, I'll do this quick. Okay. 
To the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. How many people can resemble that, right? How often do we go to church and we pretend like everything's going well, but on the inside we're like, I'm spiritually falling apart and I don't want to say it. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your works. Com- I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. That's a prophetic word specifically to this church. Sardis was positioned on a on a top of a hill with very steep cliffs. It was considered impenetrable. You could not get into this fortress. Sardis was the safest place you could be. And here's Jesus like, I'm going to come in like a thief in the night. That would have struck a chord with them because you know what? After all these years of being safe, they all knew that about 10, 20 years before this letter was written, there was a military in which some brave soul somehow scaled the cliff broke into the place and took the place down with the military they had. And so when when Sardis is specifically told, I'll break in like a thief in the night, they're all thinking, oh, wow, Jesus is going to do what that guy did. We thought we were safe, but in the end we weren't. So it's a specific word to them. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out their name of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then Philadelphia, not our Philadelphia, okay? It was a different one. Uh, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has a key of David, who opens that no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. That's their prophetic word. Why are these people going to be a pillar in a temple? Because they had earthquakes all the time. Their city suffered earthquakes to the point that like, it would take out the city. The government would have to step in. And the government would have to fix up their town. And after it had been fixed, time would go by, things were well. And then another earthquake would come in and shake up their town. The government would have to step in and help out. I think until finally, like, they just had to give up. You know, like, this isn't going to work. This isn't good land. Why does Jesus tell Philadelphia, I will make you like a pillar? It's because they're not used to stability like that. They're not used to anything standing strong. Again, Specific people being told specific words that they need to hear. They'll be given, uh, they'll be made into a pillar. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write his name 
uh, write him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then our final one, like I said, I'm flying through these now. This one, you really see the city come alive, okay? To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. North of Laodicea are the hot springs of the area. South of Laodicea are the coldest waters around. And they have aqueducts that come from both to Laodicea. Guess what their water is like, no matter where it comes from, by the time it gets there through the aqueduct? Lukewarm. Lukewarm. (laughs) Like, even if you looked at the meter, like hot, lukewarm, cold. And here Jesus comes and he's like, look, I would rather you be hot or cold. Cold water is great. Hot water can be great. But you guys are right in the middle which is the water that is not great. In fact, uh, lukewarm water used back then. Anybody know what they used lukewarm water to do back then? Emma, do you know? Wash their face would be a smart thing to do with it. Instead, they would drink it and throw up because it would make them throw up. So uh, I guess go home and try it. Let me know if it works. Uh, (laughs) But apparently they would use lukewarm water to... uh, help themselves throw up because it would just be gross. You know, it's not going through filters or anything like that. Even gross cold water, you can work out with. Hot water, you can work out with. But lukewarm, unfiltered water, probably not that great. Uh, So one way or another, you see God saying like, look, I know your area. You got the hot, you got the cold. uh, But you guys, to me, you're you're just lukewarm. And nobody likes that. That's only useful for throwing up. (laughs) For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. They were rich. In fact, guess what? This town had earthquakes too. And after earthquakes, they were one of the only towns who could tell the government, we actually don't need your help, we can take care of this. They had lots of money. They were a very prosperous area. And yet Jesus tells them that despite all this money, you say I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. So not just the kind of gold that you can get anywhere, but the kind of gold that Jesus offers that you can't get anywhere else. White garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This town was known to actually have an eye salve. Uh, they had a medical school in their area where people could learn how to try to make the eyes better through this eye salve. And so you see again how Jesus is taking what they already have and giving it prophetic definition. You think that you can see because of what you guys work with? You can't. You need me to see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Band's going to come up. Don't worry, our preaching won't always be quite so sporadic and long like this. 
Um, in this particular case, I really wanted you to see all seven letters at once. That way you could see that these were real people. I remember reading online recently, someone was like, I was reading Revelation. I was just really convicted that my church is the church of Laodicea. I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) It's not even the church of Laodicea that might be there today. That church was a long time ago. However, I will give you this. The Holy Spirit could be convicting you that, hey, your church is like Laodicea. In the same way that they need to work on these things, your church needs to work on these things too. These are hard passages to read sometimes because we're like, God, we don't really want your Yelp reviews, you know? We don't exactly want to know what you liked and what you didn't like. We'd prefer to just kind of hope that we're doing well and at the end just get to heaven and be like, we got in. But God is concerned about his kingdom. God is concerned about the citizens of his kingdom. And he wants them to stand strong and represent him well. Now, the rest of Revelation is really going to be about how Jesus is going to come and protect the church and watch over the church and how they're going to suffer some incredible stuff. But they can know that he is there for them, watching over them, that even if they die, even if they get killed for his name, the blessing that they will get out of that will be much better than the life that they ever had. But the book of Revelation starts off by speaking to the Christians. Specifically, here's the things you guys are going through. And as the end times come, which were started then and are still continuing today. As the end times come, here are prophetic words to strengthen you as you continue to walk towards the salvation and be made perfect in Christ. We're going to sing a few songs. Uh, we're also going to continue our Advent candles uh, you can take on whatever posture you like, but would you start by standing with us? Yeah. There will be a prayer team in the back corner if you need prayer for anything. And God, we know Revelation is a confusing book. We don't always know what to do with it. Uh, but we do know that even though these churches have come and gone, that the words that you spoke to them are words that you would speak to us. If we were found to not be as loving as we used to be, you would tell us the same thing you told Ephesus. If we were found to be allowing heresy and, and sexual immorality to come into our churches, you would tell us that we need to fix these things. If we got caught up in prosperity and had everything together and could see better than everyone else, but we weren't focused on you and our riches had taken our eyes off of you, you would tell us, turn towards you because we can only see if we're looking at you so all of these words even though they were specifically written to specific people all of these words are also for us so strengthen us grow us let 1208 be what you call it to be let us not pretend we're alive but be dead on the inside let us truly be alive we worship you now And pray that our praises create a throne for you here on this block of Jackson. Jesus' name, amen.